want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, it's... 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, play hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Unsides TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Ah, I'm just going to make different unintelligible sounds every week <laughs> as, as a form of response because it's, yeah, it's, it just seems like the most reasonable way to go. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So how much longer do you have in beautiful Toronto? Toronto? Uh, really beautiful? Um, I have approximately a month left. Okay, seeing the sights and all that? Seeing the sights, uh, saying goodbyes in a very slow fashion, and then it's gonna be, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be the hermit life for a good eight to twelve months. We'll see. Let's see. Okay. Well, keep us in, keep us informed as uh, various things develop. We heard from a bunch of you guys this week on Twitter and uh, Facebook and all of that good stuff. First of all, from Julius on the return, do we think the twins switched? I don't think they did. That would be one twist too many. Well, I, I think maybe they could have switched, but then I don't think the other person would assume their sister's identity for four years. Yeah, that seems like a bit much. I, I don't know. There's enough going on on the show that I don't that it didn't even really occur to me as a thing they would ever want or need to do. Okay, we heard from Dan, who, who would have failed miserably at the Farella uh, Amazing Race uh, task and uh, might never have finished it. So that was entertaining. Dan, of course, wrote our reviews or recaps for Amazing Race last year. This year he's doing Survivor. But uh, always good to hear from you, Dan, one of our Amazing Race experts over at Sound on Sight. Carl is enjoying his Good Wife Marathon, uh, but there's a lot of it. He's kind of wishing there wasn't so much in season one. I, I feel where you're coming from. However, it's almost all pretty good. So it's... Yeah, aren't they coming up on 100 episodes pretty soon? Yes, I want to say it's like next week or the week after. But it, yeah, it's coming up soon here. Also, he wants to fit in Homicide now because he really liked the DVD shelf. And maybe The Wire because that sounds good. Does The Wire stream somewhere? I think just like HBO Go, right? It should be. Yeah, it should be readily available yeah. Somewhere for sure. But I would imagine, I don't think it's on like Netflix or anything like that because I'm pretty sure all the HBO shows are kept in-house. Um, and also he's torn between Scandal and The Good Wife because he really loved Kerry Washington on SNL and he, he enjoys her in general. Which one, should he, should he stick with Good Wife or should he like kind of bounce back and forth with Scandal? I think he should stick with Good Wife. Yeah, there's really no contest there. Yeah, I like Scandal, but uh, go with The Good Wife. Speaking of, Mario says he got two friends who had stopped watching it catching back up with the show and they're both loving it and uh so so well done mario keep preaching the word we of course at the end of this podcast are going to have our dvd shelf with tyler smith of battleship retention and more than one lesson talking about the tick the animated series so we, we we're talking about that somewhat on twitter this week bill says he loves the animated series uh, he introduced his daughter to it a while back and she loves it too of course he also gave us some uh some of his medical expertise about the walking dead thank you very much bill we talked about that on the walking dead podcast of course that was myself and ricky d we also talked walking dead with tickle talk um who says if you can't remember a character's name 
he thinks that's the viewer's fault, not the writer's. He thinks if the show if introduces a character and tells you their name, if you're paying attention as a viewer, it's up to you to remember it. I'm more in the the writers have to make that character interesting, have to make me want to remember the character's name. So if I don't remember a character's name, if there's especially if there more than one or two are introduced at a time, I think that's on the writers. Yeah, that's a sign that they're that either they haven't made that character interesting or they have a general problem investing you in the universe. I mean, how many characters does the good wife have? And I remember all of their names, all of their names, even if I haven't seen them in a season and a half, like, Oh, it's like, for instance, Owen returns this week after what? Eight, nine episodes. Like, Oh, it's Owen. Even though I can't remember the name of the, of the character played by the same actor on the walking dead. (laughs) Um, yeah, Milton? Milton. Yeah, there you go. You remembered, but I forgot. But I had to think about it a little bit. Yeah, and like I, I want to say that the Dennis O'Hare judge is Judge Abernathy. I, I, like, yep. Yeah, and, and he's been on like three episodes over several seasons. So I think, so. I, I honest, personally, I think that comes down to the writing. Swedge uh, recommends the most recent episode of The Crazy Ones, which we are going to talk about this week. He says the show's really coming together and there's a really good ensemble chemistry. And uh, one of uh, what one of the people I follow on Twitter t- retweeted something out about how uh, there should be an opposite to shipping. Maybe And uh, Kate Sherrill uh, recommended or, or put forth the term shipwreck, as in I shipwreck Ted and Robin. Um, and uh, I think that's a good term. I think it's a very necessary term in this age of television insty reactions. And Tickle Talk wants to know, do shippers and wreckers declare the Jamaica Inn a neutral zone? Of course. Of course, Tickle Talk. You gotta, you know. Simon, you look very confused. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm, I have no idea what's <laughs> happening right now. No worries. No worries. It's all good. Um, thank you guys so much for, for touching base with us. It's always great to hear from you guys. No new iTunes ratings or reviews this week. Maybe next week. Um, but there is a lot going on at Sound on Sight. It is, of course, Doctor Who month. And so uh, there are profiles going up every single day. And hopefully we'll get some more art- articles that aren't just character profiles going up this week. As well as, of course, next week, which is the big Who Stravaganza with, uh, of course, we have the the... 50th anniversary but also the adventure in space and time which is the film about the creation of doctor who lots of stuff going on for doctor who month of course it's also soderberg month and there's plenty more happening every day at soundonsite.org so please check it out but let's get into our week in tv because last week a bunch of shows took the week off and we had a shorter podcast this week they pretty much all came back so it was going to be a longer one again um, so we'll we'll we'll, we'll, see, we'll see about that. We'll see. Okay, maybe I shouldn't uh, put the cart before the horse. Um, anyways, let's take a break, listen to a clip, and come back with our week in comedy. It's a song about somebody that I I thought I knew. There, there is a girl. To me, she meant all. He's a much better singer than he is stalker, and he's a really good stalker. I came to see she's not who I thought she'd be. We don't know this is about you. There was a time when all I knew was Sydney, you're so fine. Sydney, you're one of a kind, but it's not true. I guess it's about you. Barely knew you, but I tried. I could have known I'd be 
This week in comedy, we have our network comedy roundup, which will be The Crazy Ones, Sydney, Australia, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, 48 Hours, New Girl Coach, The Midi Project, Skater Man, and then we also will talk the Always Sunny finale, The Gang Squashes Their Beefs, as well as Eastbound and Down, Chapter 28. Um, as you heard, Josh Groban appeared on The Crazy Ones this week and uh, was was a lot of fun. I absolutely agree with our listener, Swedge, that the show is really coming together. It's it, the, the cast seems to be working really well, and there's there's a really good, like he said, there's a really good ensemble chemistry. And uh, I think they've also really tweaked several of the, the roles very well, so it's nice to actually see each of these actors have a defined character. So... I think if if you liked the crazy ones, uh, or or at least were intrigued by it, but maybe lost track of it, check back in and see what you think, because I think that it's really improving quite a bit. Um, let's go to the Fox comedies: Brooklyn Nine Nine, Forty Eight Hours, and New Girl Coach, and the Mindy Project, Skater Man. What say you, sir? Well, I actually watched the Mindy Project this week because yeah, all offense. I mean, I need, I need my fix. <laughs> and I, you know, he clearly has a blast whenever he guests on comedies like what happened with the league last season. And every time I watch the Mindy Project, I have the exact same thoughts, which is, wow, they get amazing guests. And wow, there's still a large section of the cast that does nothing for me. So that really doesn't seem to, that doesn't seem to be changing, which is unfortunate. Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, you 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 brought this up when we were uh, off mic earlier, and now I can't un unthink it. It was totally the the Brooklyn Nine Nine version of uh, of the of the Adina Watson first episode. What was, what was that one called again? Three Men and Adina. Three Men and Adina. Yes, uh, it was. Ed, which I was it deliberate? I would like to think it was deliberate. I, I I'm not sure, but uh, it, it was a delightful bit of symmetry for us, having talked about homicide life on the street last week on the podcast and and rewatched that episode to go from that episode about you have 48 hours to get a perp to confess or to 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 nail them or else you have to release them, and then hear the c- comedy version of that. It was it was entertaining. I thought. Um, as now, what did you think of New Girl? Uh, well, they've they've talked about, or rather, it's come out over the last few days that Coach will be sticking around for the rest of the season, which is interesting, and I think it's a huge blessing for them because I'm actually, I'm I'm picturing another version of how things are going where they don't have another character stepping in to change up the dynamic, and it's kind of bleak. <laughs> so I think it's. This is a huge get for them. And I, I think the in particular the last scenes of this episode where Coach reveals what's really going on, they're kinda obvious if you've watched any, anything before yeah. anything before but i do think it was really well written and acted yeah i mean it's gonna be helped by adding him to the cast because he's awesome he's a, a really reliable comedic performer um that being said they are already not using all of their characters well uh specifically the more Morris still has nothing to do most weeks but if they change the dynamic and maybe this gives winston someone to spend time with besides his cat then that would be good. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. But uh, I, I like we said before. I just want to get all of the happy endings people on other shows so I can watch them some more. So I'll take what I can get. Um, I enjoyed Brooklyn Nine Nine this week a bunch. I enjoyed New Girl though. I got to give it to actually to Tay Diggs. I thought he was hilarious this week. Yeah, he was great. He was really really great. I was I was actually thinking that Cece was gonna was gonna just like take one for the team. Him. Oh darn. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> but they didn't end up going that way. She's she's also had nothing to do. Absolutely nothing to do, which is too bad because she's, again, really proved herself to be an excellent part of the ensemble when, when they give her more to do. Well, it's time for Winston and Cece to happen. No. No? No. <laughs> It really, really isn't. Um, and uh, as far as Mindy Project goes, I, the, this episode really highlighted to me that they need to do one of two things as far as I'm concerned. Either they need to strongly advance this whole Mindy Danny arc or they need to leave it alone. So doing episodes like this week's where it basically is all Mindy Danny, but the, but nothing happens, nothing develops, nothing changes, gets really frustrating because, yes, her life is a romantic comedy. She loves romantic comedies. That's all very interesting. And they've done some really effective Mindy Danny stuff over the show's, uh, all, you know, couple seasons. But it, it, they work very well as as good friends and coworkers who spend time together and and, and are important in each other's lives. And they work well as potential building towards the eventual forever coupleness, but this this sort of in between stage of of getting jealous over each other, but not having anyone realize why they're getting you know that is not working for me. It just feels like treading treading water and a waste of everybody's time. So I want them to either commit to that or commit to leaving it alone for now, because they again I think they do either of those too well. But this in between stuff, not a fan. Yeah, uh, that's. I think that's sort of the problem I have with Mindy Project in general is there's a whole lot of stasis a whole lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. Let's move on to the Always Sunny finale. The gang squashes their beef. So we're already at the end of season nine. I don't like these shorter episode orders they've been doing the last couple of seasons. Doesn't work for me. But uh, I, I thought it was a pretty solid finale. I, I almost would have preferred if they hadn't copped out a little bit at the end by saying, oh, that's all right. We'll call the fire department. I, I think I would have liked the idea that maybe they would have just let, let them all burn. I got the sense, though, that maybe they forgot. Well, we hear we hear them break the glass and, and get out. Oh, so, OK. OK. Yeah. There's like the sound of uh, quick. I mean, maybe one of one or two of them will croak. But anyway, I, I it, it I would have appreciated a slightly darker hue to that last scene. But there was. There was a lot of goodness in the finale, I thought. And it was it's always nice to get Cricket and the gang <laughs> back and wretched as ever. And Gail the snail, of course. And just like the conversation with Cricket about giving up his eye, I thought was just like <laughs> ridiculous and, and and sort of delightful. I was a priest before I met you guys. And yeah, but still I don't think we don't have a beef. That was that was pretty great. Um, however, I do think that this was a step down from some of their episodes earlier this season. And um, I think that's, you know, the last several episodes haven't been quite as effective. Um, and particularly like the Lethal Weapon episode and this one. When I think of some of their earlier episodes this season, they were really knocking it out of the park. So I think this is more of a mixed season than I would have initially predicted based on the premiere and some of these other early episodes yeah Be better than the last season but definitely clearly, than clearly season. i think we were primed by the first half of the season and then yeah kind of, eh. yeah i was hoping for a season seven kind of greatness and that that didn't happen but like you said better than season eight better than season eight and the fact that they're still going and still pretty much kicking ass most of the time is yeah. almost unreal the fact that it's oh it's not as good as season seven that never happens. <laughs> yeah, never. Yeah. Let's talk about East Bend and Down, Chapter 28. Of course, the finale will be next week, and it 
looks like it's, you know, speaking of, of being primed, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun um, based on what we get this week. What did you think of Stevie's chin and, uh, and and everything that, you know, Christmas with Dakota and all of that? What did you think of this episode? Okay, first of all, props to Steve Little, mm-hmm. who, oh my God. I mean, he... The, the the comic sidekick is really kind of a thankless role, both in terms of the role and performing it. But the stuff they've done with him this season with all the body modification has been one of the greatest running gags of the year. It's just so, so incredibly discom- discomforting, uncomfortable. Is there a difference between those words and meaning? I'm not. I guess not. Um, the oh, yeah. And the chin this week was just too much. The uh, and I, I like how when Kenny's talking to him at some point he he drops in a Jay Leno reference but not but doesn't say it as a joke it just clearly comes up subconsciously because of the gin which mm-hmm. was a nice little touch uh, but there was a lot of good stuff in this episode the the showdown on this in the on the studio set with with the wire work was <laughs> inc- it was incredible um, I mean obviously the the as soon as we get into that motel room and there's a gun, I'm like, there's no way that gun's not going off. And there's no way that gun's not going off and blowing off his chin. Yes. Yeah. I, and I thought for a second, maybe, oh no. I mean, yeah, the way that happened was uh, terrifying and hilarious all at once. The, I'm, I'm sort of hoping and I'm, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what way they're going to go with it, but I'm kind of, I'm actually really hoping for no reconciliation with April next week. Because it was so great to watch her make a clean break this week, and so if they if they capitulate on that, I think it'll be kind of I would I have a hard time imagining how they'll do that without it being depressing. Well, and as she says in this episode, you were miserable before, so I don't think they can go back to happy family and and Kenny is is, is choosing the suburban life. I don't think they can go back to that because they already showed us that that does not work for him. He's not a happy person. Or they can do it while letting us know that nothing's changed. Like, they, they can get away with that because it's eastbound and down. But they – I'll be curious to see what even they're it, – because it kind of seems like everything's wrapped up. You know, he, obviously the show's over after his Christmas tirade. So I'm not really sure what plot there is left to do. But I, if you can pull off a Christmas episode in October, I'm always impressed. I mean, any time of the year that isn't December, really. Well, and also we should mention John Hawks. Great to see him back. Nice uh, couple scenes this week with uh, with Mister yes. Mister Powers there. Yeah, I, I the show is so good at having Kenny. Kenny has the greatest apologies, like it. I, his whole sort of quasi mea culpa to John Hawks about how you know no one even cares about you and you're just okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was so beautifully written. Yeah. No, it's 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 been a really solid season for Eastbound and Down. I think it's in contention, at least for my top 15 or 20. I, I it's in I think it's in contention for top 10. Ooh. Well, we uh well, it's it's going to have to really nail that landing, I think. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We'll see what happens next week. But for now that wraps up our week in comedy. What wins the week for you? Oh, it's got to be Eastbound. We didn't talk about Bob's, which I also enjoyed, but it's Bob's has been on a really even keel lately, so I haven't felt like Check, checking in on that every week. Although I will say I laughed a lot at um, at uh, I know about Gene's secret cat, but uh, you know beyond that, I'll definitely Eastbound. Yeah, Eastbound for me as well. Uh, yeah, so let's take a break and come back with our week in reality. Georgia, Georgia, 
in reality the teams have been finalized on the voice and so i'll talk on about that a little bit as well as the amazing race speed dating is the worst so first up the voice uh, there there are a lot of really talented singers on the teams the finalized top 12 there's some good singers who are going home there's some good singers who are going through that i might not have picked but pretty much everybody at this point is is talented and uh I, I did think it was very interesting that when it came to the group numbers almost all of them were kind of terrible so it's, it's unlike last season where the groups really gelled there may not have been there were not i should say as many standout individual singers but you know they were able to sing together in tune which doesn't seem to be happening at least it didn't happen on this last episode on uh, was it the thursday episode last week Hopefully that was just like a not enough rehearsal time situation that will be remedied quickly. But uh, there are there are some really good singers, and so I, I'm enjoying just the the group. However, what I am not enjoying is the absolutely useless coach comments after each person sings. Everything is praise. Maybe Adam Levine on the second night on for Christina's team and Blake's team. He actually got a little bit of criticism in there, maybe like a sentence for each person, which he immediately undermined by saying, but of course I'm just being really picky and you're amazing. I just, I don't even watch the coach comments anymore. I used to enjoy this show for the fact that the coach comments were useful and would help the singers get better. They don't do that anymore because they're worried about, I think they're worried about harming each singer's chances or something. But it just is really frustrating because I, somebody will clearly sing out of tune, and unless they botch the most important note in the song, the coaches aren't going to mention it. And this is live TV; we can all hear it. If we can hear it, they should be able to hear it. And so it just gets really that gets really frustrating. But um, but again, I would say you know I would actually be curious, Simon, what you think of some of these singers. So maybe as we get into the the top 10, the top eight or whatever, I'll send you a link or two to check out and, and get your thoughts. But especially Christina's team has some, some really good singers on there. So we'll see what happens with it. Um, the other show for reality this week is the amazing race. Of course, top chef new Orleans happened, but we didn't really have too much to say. So more of the same. I still like the same people I like on there. Anything for you for new top chef new Orleans? Uh, no, nothing, nothing springs to mind. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this week's episode with Kermit, finally. Um, but yeah, more enjoying the New Orleans setting. This week on The Amazing Race, we have Speed Dating is the Worst, and uh, we finally had our non-elimination leg. I was going to say, we're down to like six teams, and they hadn't had a non-elimination leg, so it felt like they were really churning through the contestants. Um, we have the date challenge, which is appropriately um, tricky, though I would definitely have gone for that over the... It sounds. It seems like they were actually well-matched, because that like fishing net thing seemed to, to take a roughly the same amount of time as the dates, 
But uh, I like the I like when they do artistic challenges, like I said last week with Ferella. So having to match a complicated like table spread sort of thing, arrangement of dates, I thought was a, a nice challenge that tasks different skills than they usually do. So much like the singing last week. And um, as for the uh, as for the other challenge, I gotta say, okay. So have you ever done any rappelling, Simon? Uh, hell no. Yes. I have not done any repelling either. However, I am fully aware of what it is. I've done enough repelling uh, at like rock walls and stuff, just like tiny bits of like down a wall. You know, you do the bounce out and you get slack in the rope kind of a thing. It's not hard. And so when they do things on the Amazing Race where they need to repel, and people instantly freak out, even though they're slowly, they're not repelling, they're being lowered on a rope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, guys. And I'm afraid of heights. I'm afraid of heights. And I'm watching this going, you've got to be kidding me. Most of the time I'm watching, you know, height-related things on The Amazing Race going, oh, God, dear God, not me. This week when they just are slowly being lowered down on a cable, I was like, the least you could do is pretend like you're helping this process. Or, like, look <laughs> around and go, ooh, isn't it pretty? Because, I mean, oh, anyway, sorry, pet peeve. But uh, as for as for the teams, the Afghanimals are number one this week. Yay! Um, but otherwise, <laughs> I actually think I, I kind of like most of the teams that are that are left. So it's interesting to be in a situation where there are several different teams that I would be okay with winning if my pick isn't going to win. That is the team who was first place last week. Of course, ends up in the bottom, last place this week, and so hopefully that'll happen again, and the Afghanimals will go home. I'm ready for them to not be there calling these two blonde chicks they barely know their wives and their lovers. It's creepy. Yeah, that never stops being creepy. Yeah. Anyways, that wraps up the week in in reality. I'm going to give it to The Amazing Race as the best of the, the three shows I watched. So let's uh, listen to some music and come back with our week in genre. <laughs> Walking Dead Internment, Supernatural, Dog Dean Afternoon, Grim, A Dish Best Served Cold, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., F-Z-Z-T, I don't know how you'd pronounce that, Sleepy Hollow, The Midnight Ride, American Horror Story, Coven, Burn Witch, Burn, Burn Witch, 
Burn. I think I get the punctuation correct there. And Le Revenant or The Returned, Simon. So first up, The Walking Dead. Of course, you can listen to The Walking Dead podcast on the site, which is myself and Ricky D this week, and we talked about this episode. I liked it a lot. Ricky was more uh, in, on the middle-of-the-road path with it. He thought it was good, but not great. Um, and you're not even watching. No, I've left it so far behind. It's... It's just, it's better over here, people. It's just better. That's how I feel about Homeland, so. Uh... That's how I also feel about <laughs> Homeland. Uh, every, I still, I still, I keep up with the plots of both those shows via recaps just so I can enjoy how much I'm not watching them. <laughs> well, if you want to hear more thoughts about uh, The Walking Dead, you can check that out. It should already be in your iTunes feed, or if you don't listen on iTunes, you can find it up at Sound On Sight. Supernatural, Dog Dean Afternoon. You always know it's going to be a fun episode of Supernatural when the previously ons get the wacky cut, and uh, they did this week, and I thought this episode was much more successful than last week's um, you know, Oz-infused in, you know, sort of episode. Dean's mind-melding with the dog and taking on characteristics of the dog, and then just his, hey, you, to the mailman was just one of the more entertaining things I saw all week. Uh, certainly funnier than many of the comedies uh, that I I watched, as much as I enjoyed the week in comedy. Um, So there was a lot of of good stuff there. I really enjoyed that episode. Um, Grim, a dish best served cold. I have been behind on my reviews due to all of the hooeyness happening at at Sound on Sight, but hopefully by the time you're hearing this, my Grim review is up. I thought it was solid, and I liked their, their take on the Three Little Pigs or the whole... Bowershine and um, Blutbad thing. That food looked really good as well, which I think is important when they're going to have, you know, a, a chef, uh, a fancy chef be one of their main characters. Um, and we'll see what happens with with Nick's lingering effects. I think that's interesting too. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but I, I'm enjoying Grimm this season. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you have checked out, yes? It would seem that way. I didn't do it on purpose. I just sort of forgot it existed, which is... <laughs> You know, a sign of things. They take a week off and you don't come back. Yeah, I, I've done that before. This episode I thought was much better than the the previous episodes because, of course, there's the there's the health scare and Simmons is about to, you know going to die in two hours, and so there's two hours for them to figure out what's causing this sort of alien virus. First of all, an alien virus is way more interesting to me than random dude with superpowers because that. You know, it's something that doesn't get addressed very frequently in the the, the genre and sci-fi kind of shows that we watched. And it's and it's an important issue, alien viruses. <laughs> but um, you know, this week it's not Fitzsimmons; it's Gemma and Leo. So you know, they're people rather than a series of quirks. And shock and astonishment when you make our characters people and you focus on them and give them significant stakes to what they're doing the show gets much better. So we'll see if that lasts or if this is sort of a fluke, but pretty much everything about this episode is better than the rest of the season. So I'm hoping that these developments and these, uh, this different approach to these characters is maintained. We'll see. Um, Sleepy Hollow, the midnight ride. You did watch this one. I did. Cause I had a little bit of time and you told me it was good. So I, I did. It's it's fun. I, I I think it was wise for them to apparently wrap up the whole horseman thing because I was I, I was beginning to think to myself, are they just gonna chase this freaking horseman 
for the rest of the season, and I guess they won't, so good for them. The I was also thinking about how long ago would the show have been, have been canceled if they hadn't found Tom Meissen? Or Nicole Bahari. I think she's good, too. But yeah, I, I think they're, they're good together. Uh, and it's also a function of writing because they've done the self-aware thing very, very well. But I, I think he has, uh, I think he has the, the, I think he has the trickier role where he, he's, you know, fish out of water thing. Okay, that's familiar, but it's there's so much that's patently ridiculous about the character, mm-hmm. and someone who isn't able to go all in in quite the same way and sell it, I think it would, the show would be instantly sunk. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree. Um, I, I love that this is a show that is so ridiculous. And then this week, the, um, the, you know, one of the things that they highlight is the regulars are coming as opposed to the British are coming. And like, like this touch of realism to, to like what actually probably happened with Paul Revere. Cause there's a, Yelling the British are coming is a really effective way to draw attention to yourself. Um, yes, and it doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't make any sense. And so so I, I love that contrast. And I think that's one of the things the show does really well. Something we both uh, talked about, we talked about earlier and we both agree on is love interest person is, you know, or former love interest, we should say, at the police department guy needs to go. He's, he's, he's like this, the shining weak point of the season. Yeah, the character and the actor, I'm afraid, neither really works for yeah. me. Yeah, maybe the actor is is good, and we just haven't had the chance to see it. But nothing yeah. we've mean, seen this season with him really makes him stand out. Although I, I I also need to say I've missed the last few episodes, so maybe I'm missing something. But I like having John Cho on the show, and I think he's good. But I don't understand what's going on with that character or his motivations whatsoever. Yeah, no, me neither. He's sort of he's been recurring, so it's just sort of he's popped up. Um, I think this is the first time he's popped up in a while, in a few weeks. But when you give him lines like, I thought you were dead. Oh, I'm dead. Is that not, can you not tell that I'm I'm definitely dead? I, I, you know, I really like that sort of sense of humor and self-awareness that the show is demonstrating. Um, I, I'm, I'm good with just not knowing what's up with John Cho for now. That doesn't really bother me, but... No, it's, it, it's, it's not what's up with him. It's in that sense. It's more like in one scene, he's showing up you know, scaring the hell out of the ex and being like, mad doom. And then a few scenes later, he's trying to help out Nicole Bahari. It's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it could definitely be more clear. Yeah. Sometimes he that. seems like a minion and sometimes he seems like he's trying to help, but I'm not sure which it is. As long as the show knows, that's all I require. So I, a better sense that the show knows would be nice. Yes. Yeah. Let's move on to American Horror Story. Burn Witch. Burn. Um, and we got a lot of flashbacks this week. Again, I liked uh, I liked what we got this week with with the um, the continued struggle between the different houses. I liked we have a, that we have a return to no, Madame Lalaurie is the worst. She's the worst because um, they hadn't really <laughs> highlighted that in a, in a, in a little bit. And I also liked that just our action set piece this week. You know, we got uh, Tessa Formiga with a chainsaw. Yeah, that was, I mean, obviously very Evil Dead 2, and I don't know if you've seen Evil Dead 2, but uh, in a, like, almost splatstick mm-hmm. levels of, of, of gore happening, which I haven't seen that on TV in recent memory, so good for them. The Walking Dead could stand to loosen up like that every once in a while, um, slash way more often, slash ever, <laughs> but um, yeah, there was there was some good stuff in this episode, the... I think the, the the choice of music for Francis Conroy's execution march was 
particularly inspired. Dr. John. I, Dr. John. I mean, I, the fact that they were able to resist Queens of the Stone Age, you can look it up later, uh, was remarkable to me. So good for them. It was This was way more appropriate for the for the venue. And although, frankly, I'm a little bit disappointed they didn't just kill off the Francis Conroy character because I felt like I'd gotten everything I needed from her. So having, I mean, admittedly, having Lily Rabe walk onto that, into that area was very evocative, but mm, we'll see. I don't, know how I fe- I don't know how I feel about nobody ever really dying. Yeah, and and I definitely I thought of that, but I like I, I like the because I was wondering why why our lead whose name I don't remember. I'm sorry. Yeah, I enjoy I enjoy her, but I don't remember her character name. Um, I was you know I'm trying to piece together why she hasn't mentioned. By the way, there's this very powerful witch that I've run into probably because she's trying to hide the whole Frankenstein monster thing. Um, but anyways, uh, there's been, you know, she's been very disconnected and I was trying to figure out when she's going to join the group and we get our answer. And this is how, cause it's going to turn into, you know, buying categories of, of witches or whatever, as well as the whole voodoo struggle. So, um, there's, I think there's a lot of potential there. So, you know, of course, her having been burned at the stake, she's going to have strong feelings about coming across another woman burned at the stake. Yeah, that'll probably do that. <laughs> That's the thing that will happen. But uh, I, I'm I'm also confused about what's going on with Sarah Paulson's husband still. They haven't clarified that yet. Yeah. Well, well I, and although luckily I have no idea. So that's always fun for a show like this. Definitely. And uh, what did you think of... Uh, of her being blind now is that gonna is that heightening her abilities um it i mean that makes sense the the whole idea that you lose one sense others get heightened seems like it would go double for witches so i don't mind that plus uh i mean the the actual effects were were the actual makeup effects were good although frankly i would have expected a little bit more grotesque even but I, I do think they went overboard on making the hospital creepy, though. Was that just me? Yeah, I think that was you. I thought it was fine. Worked for me. Okay. It was like the most decrepit hospital in human history. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll have to keep an eye out for that this next week, see see what I think. But I, I was fine with it in this episode. I thought that scene with the baby was was particularly evocative and worked for, for me quite a bit. So I, I, it sounds like I liked this episode more than you did. But um, mostly I think we're both just sort of in for the ride with Coven this season. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's move on to Le Revenant and Simon. It should be Simon, actually. Simon? Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. No, don't apologize to me. Apologize to France. The returned Simon. Le Revenant, Simon. Exactly. Uh, I, I really dug this episode. I feel like there was there was a lot about the... I, I, I shared some thoughts with other critics where, based on that first episode, I had trouble differentiating certain characters and sort of sussing out some of the plot lines. But even though some of those don't appear this week, I felt like I had a much better grasp on things after this episode, which makes me feel more involved, which is always good. I think it's it's going to be interesting going forward to see how they balance the fact that this is a show about people, about dead people coming back to life with the fact that this is also a show about a lot of people doing very terrible things to each other. Um, but I like that there is this effort to balance the sort of the, the Camille plot line, which has people sort of like I said last week, you know, trying to make something good out of it uh, versus everyone else just freaking the hell out, mm-hmm. which I think is which, which, which I think is a really good balance. And I didn't find Victor creepy last week, but man, did I find him creepy this week. Holy crow. Yeah, he was creepy. He's a creepy little kid. Definitely a creepy little kid. Um, the yeah, I, th- I think the reactions this week to various people coming back 
from the dead are appropriate. Because <laughs> last week there was a sense of, like, dead people are back. Yay! Which seemed a little odd. And so this week we have the guy burning his daughter, and we have the guy hitting his, his what, son on the head with the shovel. And th there's some, like, appropriately freaked out responses Yes, and I, I also like the, the, this idea of having a themed episode for each character. I think is is really smart for what they're doing. But I also like that it, they change it up. You know, in the first episode, we find out exactly what happened to Camille, how she died, and I kept waiting for that flashback with with Simal to find out how he died, but we never get it. Mm -hmm. So, and it's never even referenced. So maybe we find out later, maybe we don't. Yeah. And I, I, I enjoy that extra layer of mystery. Yeah. We'll see how these uh, arcs start coming together. I'm assuming that by the end of the season, at least, that many of the threads will tie in to each well, other. If, if you go look at the episode titles, the, the, the title of the last episode is particularly interesting. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Now let's save that in case somebody wants to remain spoiler free. Yeah, that's, I'm keeping it quiet. Okay. What wins your week in genre? I'll give it to The Returned. I'm going to give it to American Horror Story, Coven. Enjoyed it All quite right. a bit. I'm, I'm having fun with that. We'll see. And then, of course, I also really enjoyed The Walking Dead this week. So it, it was actually in contention for me, but I'll give it to Coven. Um, let's take a break and come back with our week in drama. I'm going down to the river of Jordan, oh yes. I'm going down to the river of Jordan one of these days, hallelujah. I'm going down to the river of Jordan I'm going down to the river of Jordan one of these days I'm gonna eat at the welcome table, oh yes I'm gonna eat at the welcome table one of these days, hallelujah I'm gonna eat at the welcome table I'm gonna eat at the welcome table one of these days. This week in drama, we have Scandal, Icarus, Parented, Speaking of Baggage, Boardwalk Empire, White Horse Pike, Masters of Sex, All Together Now, and The Good Wife the next week. Scandal, I just wanted to mention Kitty Alexander. What? It's gonna be awesome. Uh, Very exciting. Um, they're going. Looks like they're going full alias with this, and because you don't just cast Candy Alexander to have her walk out the door in the first scene and never. Pop back on your screen. So that should be a lot of fun. And I look forward to Candy Alexander and the showdown she will have with Joe Morton at some point. It's going to be awesome. Are you going to tune in for that? Uh, we'll see. I, I think Candy Alexander and I think, hey, Treme is going to be on in a few weeks. That's going to be awesome. That is going to be awesome. Um, and we'll, that'll be, well, I'm sure we'll have plenty to say about the final five episode sort of mini season. Um, next on Parenthood, speaking of baggage, I really liked what they gave Erica Christensen to do this week. They've been talking a lot about Julia feeling disconnected or really struggling. And this week they actually showed it and they did a beautiful job. I like, I, I could see her struggling to keep it together. She really seemed like she was holding on by a thread. And uh, I think that's a very important. Like all of a sudden, after this episode, I'm like, okay, they're they're going for you know the potential infidelity arc. If they're going to give us stuff like this, then it makes sense. And I and I'm okay and I'm okay with what you know the various things that, that they're gonna directions that they seem to be heading with marital discord and strife. If she is like this all the time, 
then of course there's going to be marital strife. You know, so we'll see what happens with it. But that was my big takeaway from this episode, along with we got more Hank and Max, and that's always good. What did you take away from the episode? Well, the Hank and Max was good. The Hank and Sarah, not so good. God, freaking Sarah. Just keep her in the Amber storyline. Way more interesting. We got to see Amber at work. Got to see uh, some Ryan starting to go, hey, maybe this is, you know. There was some good good Ryan stuff this week, too. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Sarah with Hank was insufferable. And how relieved were we both that there was no Ryan? Oh, I don't like that you're making physical contact with other people, which is so where I thought they were going with that for a few seconds. And where so many other shows have gone and do go and will go in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And who knows, this show still might, but I'm glad they didn't do it here. Yeah, exactly. Anything else for Parenthood or shall we move on to Boardwalk Empire? Let's do that. Okay. White Horse Pike. So uh, this is my first season watching Boardwalk Empire. And everybody always says it's a slow burn. And then at the end of the season, it it pays off. Here's my thing. Why couldn't this episode have happened five weeks earlier? Um, That's a good question. The uh, Because they were too busy servicing way too many plot lines? Because I understand, obviously, you have to have... You have to build to big moments for them to be particularly effective. You need to, you know, you can't just jump in every single week with a, with an episode like this and have it work in the way they want to do it. That's a he- more heightened show like Scandal. So you need to have calm before the storm. I absolutely get that. I don't think you need nine episodes of calm. <laughs> Which, admittedly, that's, that's a little bit of a smear. But because it hasn't been all calm. But, I mean, Boardwalk Empire gets literally 60 full minutes or close to it of story time a week which is more than almost any other show gets and it definitely it does not need to spend all the time that it does on all the storylines that it does i mean it was a good episode i wasn't blown away or anything though huh because of all the gunfire the um once again we have the problem of i did not buy for a second that chalky white was in danger Mm -hmm. i thought i thought daughter might be in danger Yeah, maybe daughter, maybe his daughter Mm -hmm. also. Yeah, that scene worked. Yeah, we don't know where that's going. Uh, And actually, I thought it was it it would just end with her dead. Actually, (laughs) both of them dead. I thought that would for once. Can you just do the thing? Just do the thing. (laughs) But I didn't want them dead. I just wanted it to do a thing. And (laughs) Boardwalk Empire is the show that never does the thing. I can they can put that on the poster. And we also didn't think that Michael Shannon was going to get shot, and we knew Al Capone wasn't going to get shot. And so, these are effective moments, but as the payoff tonight to you know eight weeks of building up for their individual arcs, there have been other things that have happened. I, I just you know they're I get I get frustrated because yeah, imagine what else you could be doing with this arc. Yeah, and I think the the, the Shea Wiggum plotline. I think you can see the strings like. If you know someone as smart as Nucky Thompson, who's as good at getting out of scrapes, the first thing you do when the feds approach you to rat on him is you say, okay, I'll do that. And then you walk over to Nucky Thompson and say, okay, I just had that conversation. What would you like to do about it? He's not going to kill you. He's your brother. Yeah. You'll work something out. That's like – and I feel like that like Eli should be smart enough to do that. Yeah. And, and maybe they'll have him do that next week. I don't know. But they should have done it immediately rather than just have him be a miserable sod and be no fun to watch for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, Sally is, again, awesome. 
And that feels like the kind of character he feels. It feels like he should have a Sally in each of his operations, like each of the different branches of his operation, because you need people like that to be able to run a massive criminal empire. What do you do in your spare time, Kate? I scheme, plot, maybe, maybe Fair watch enough. too many crime, you know, movies and, and TV shows. I, I will say, although I don't really know what it's doing for the rest of the show, I did like the scenes with Margaret and Rothstein and mm-hmm. his particularly the line of, I've never done business with a woman before. It's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> that was cute. I like that. But the, uh, yeah, what it's actually contributing to the show, I really have no idea. It's, they really bent themselves backwards to give Margaret anything to do this year. Yeah. And instead of just, you know, and they did, you know, to their credit, she's been in two episodes. So yes. that is the approach I wish they would take with all of their characters for whom they have nothing. So just drop them out of the show. We trust that your audience is going to remember them. And then when it's effective, bring them back in. Harrow could have been just brought back in like last week. As much as I did really enjoy his arc in, in Wisconsin, it seemed like it was sort of filling time, filling time for him. And it didn't seem like he learned anything he didn't already no. Seriously, he could have reappeared in last week's episode, and I don't feel like anything would be different. Yeah, especially... Like, without all the stuff before. As far as I understand it, his his romantic interest, and in, I want to say this, that Julia is Let's nothing new. No. And so, therefore, we didn't need to have us reminded of it. They could have just done that last year at the end of the year, or just sort of yeah, dropped unle- in with unless it. unless I'm getting her... Honestly... <laughs> There's so many characters that unless I'm getting her confused with the, with the different like, like like unless the woman who was with last year was a different person who we barely knew as opposed to this person we barely know. Yeah. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So so I guess that that's sort of where I'm at with with Boring Fire. I think I, I like this episode more than you did. I thought it was very effective and it was nice to see because last week I was I was complaining in my review that Chalky seems like he, that that Nucky seems like he's not necessarily the best person to have as a partner if he's not going to stick with you um like he just seemed to very very quickly um sort of remove himself from the equation with chalky and and narcisse so i'm glad to see that sort of backpedaled this week but um it, it looks like things are brewing to in in a, in a big way but we'll see and, and and we'll see what happens but uh i again i don't understand why this couldn't have happened much much earlier this season yes Shall we move on to Masters of Sex all together now? Uh, let's do that. Um, so we have a uh, clear progression for our, our leads here. That that scene last week clearly was the tipping point, and now they're full-on participants. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, the, the choice to just open the episode with them already banging for science... <laughs> and it's apparently not the first time that it's happened, so we just totally skipped over all that. I think was unexpected, which you generally means it's smart. The I, I, they're moving so very quickly, aren't they? Yep. So much more quickly than I would expect, and I, that's both good and bad. I think the I feel like they steamrolled straight over some stuff that would have been good to see, perhaps. But I think they did a good job trying to illustrate just how tangled their relationship already is and just the way they do and don't talk about things and 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 sort of or talk circles around things rather than go at them directly like they claim to be doing um there's a line i forget which one of them says it but there's a line about i don't want to talk about 
I don't want to talk about my sex life with you. Yeah. And that's, I love the way they throw in these lines that have dual meanings and then it's not lingered on whatsoever. Um, yeah. They've done it a few times and I always really appreciate it. But uh, still, we still have an Ethan problem. We should probably just get yep. that out of the way. Yep. The and I and I keep I keep thinking to myself they must know they must they're about they're gonna pull a bait and switch on us and they must know and I'm still you're shaking your head and yeah I, I don't think they do uh, they must know though we'll see yeah I don't want to harp on it because we mention it every week but still yeah we'll see it's a big deal yeah it's a, to me it is I don't know like some of the other viewers that some of the other people that I know who watch. Uh, Masters of Sex don't seem to have any issues with Ethan at all. So, who knows? Um, how did you feel about the stuff with Scully? The Scullies, I should say. The Scullies? I'm liking it. I'm liking it. I was leery about them introducing the whole uh, Bo Bridges character is gay because I thought they were going to just sort of, you know, have that be their motivation for being able to start the study and then not really mention it. But it, since it looks like they're really exploring it, I'm I'm down with that. It seems like it's interesting. I'm I'm really enjoying Alice and Janney on the show. I think there's a lot of I, I like what what it says about her and what it says about the doctor that she's now involved with. I I enjoyed seeing Ellen Ruck back. We didn't mention him last week. It's nice to have him back on the show this week as as the psychiatrist who who said like two lines last week. One of them about what's his relationship like with his mother and then he reacts to that by going and sleeping with Alice and Janney, uh, which I thought was delightful. I am actually really liking what the Scullies are up to. I was thinking, is Scullin the plural of Scully? How does that work? Anyway, um trying to think of what else is, is happening. The to get back to the Ethan thing for a moment, the only thing that gives me any hope with that is the look that he gives the camera essentially at while he's hugging Vivian. Mm-hmm. Which is just like, which just, you know, indicates the lingering, like, weirdness with him, which I feel like maybe that'll come back and he'll lash out again at her or someone else. Like, that's the only thing that makes sense to me for that character, so. Yeah, I've read that, I read that look as, I'm hugging you and I'm saying I'm building my future with you, but I really wish I was hugging and building my future with Virginia. Aww. Yeah, but real talk, we know that's not going to happen. Yeah. So... You yeah, know. it seems odd. Anyway, but I yeah, and I'm and I'm also just really concerned about. I'm going to talk around this, but the I, I I think I think Caitlin Fitzgerald has done great work, and I I really like Libby as a character, but I'm wondering what the long game is with her. Yeah, <laughs> very very curious. The preview for next week gives us one idea. It's not a very promising one, I don't think. And again. Spoilers for real life, so you know we don't want to talk too much about where that is is heading, according to history. And how much time has passed since the start of the season? Do we know? Uh, well, they were in, they had gotten to night to nineteen fifty seven sometime before, so I'm assuming it's still like mid to late fifty seven, if not fifty eight. But that's still it's still a ways yeah. away. Yeah, a ways away days. from the thing we're thinking of. Yeah, so uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I guess I'm still I'm still very much enjoying the, uh, the the show and the different portrayals and yes, I I don't feel like I have too much more to add. It's it's been a very consistent show and I'm I'm liking the further complications of the the periphery characters' lives. Yes, and the last thing I wanted to mention is I feel like the 
Because it was strange in the first three quarters of the episode that they were just skipping our main characters having sex all the time and yeah. what that was doing. But I think they made up for that with a with that very nicely choreographed sequence near the end and the sort of disquieting aftermath and mm-hmm. sort of the way each character responds to that intimacy. I was wondering where what what, what our kids were doing this whole time, but <laughs> it's neither here nor there. I was curious, but not curious enough to want to ha- to see them. So, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Right, let's move on to the Good Wife the next week, which is still kicking ass. Uh, it's funny. I, I I had a very long and wide ranging conversation with uh, someone I just met who works in television, and and you know we were checking off all the boxes of all the things we both love, and then we got to the Good Wife, and she said, you know. I think that based on the constraints they have and the episode order they have to fill and et cetera, et cetera, all the factors, the good wife has the hardest working writers in the business right now. And I, I couldn't disagree with her because this, I mean, it, this episode in particular wasn't perfect, but there was just so much that worked and hummed along nicely. I will say as much as I was looking forward to having Owen back, I don't think I cared for the elevator scene with him and Will. You're not alone. I, Okay, I've, I've, I've seen that other places online from other critics. Okay, well, what did you, what did you think about that? I thought it. I mean, I thought it was fine. I thought it made sense given what we know about Owen and his, you know, his meddling te- ways, his team loyalties, as it were. He's not on Team Peter. Let's just say that. Um, and I think it is good that someone pointed this out to Will because it's so freaking obvious. It's it's hugely obvious. I've seen other people not happy about like this notion that that her relationship with Will may have been a significant factor in her deciding to leave. Of course it was. This is not new information. We knew this last year. Well, it was a factor, but there were I think there were other more important factors. There were many factors, but this was definitely a big one. And, yeah. um, and and so to like pretend that this is new information is very strange to me. So I like that it gets pointed out. So now we know, we know he knows, you know, whether or not she knows or is, you know, accepting of that is a different conversation. But I like that then it doesn't, that doesn't change anything. It doesn't really no, change anything. Yes, and so, true. you know, so, but at least now that's out in the open so that it's not like, you know, three, four, five episodes from now, we're going to get a heartfelt, I had to leave because I love you kind of scene because they already know that's not like a reveal they're not trying to like pretend that that is something we don't all know so so i um i actually appreciated what that may do well it seems like at least to me what it may do for the motivations moving forward yes they they've got to continue this case next week right i think so i think you know it seems like or maybe they'll pick it back up later you know down down the line but it seems like it would be odd to leave it at this point to spend so much time with it and to just leave it at where yeah. they leave it. Any any theories? Hunter Paris did it. I'm just going to say he did it. Yeah. You know, I don't... It just seems very odd because they already had... Kalinda said he did it. The DNA says he did it. He's saying he didn't, but the show isn't... The show isn't telling us that he's lying. In, the, in its choice of shots and its editing, the show isn't making him look shifty like it usually would if we're supposed to understand that he's lying, that he did do it. And so I think that's interesting. And that tells me that there's more to come, but I don't know what it could 
B that would make sense or that would tie in with what our other characters are do- doing and dealing with. Because that's usually what happens. They, you know, they associate, they bring in a case that's going to reflect, you know, what else, what else is going on. It just seems so such damning evidence. Why would you keep pretending you didn't do it? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yeah, exactly. The Unless you just really want to believe you're innocent, which yeah. happens all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, that, to me, could be the most interesting choice, especially as it relates to Will. Mm-hmm. But I will say the MVP of the episode is obviously Zach. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If there's ever a good reason to punch someone in the face, generally speaking, them putting nude pictures of a relative online is a pretty good one. Yeah. Yeah, pretty good, pretty damn good reason. And uh, I mean, because of course, I was immediately thinking of the NSA. Oh yes, but but here's the thing: they they, they can't really do that because we're gonna yeah. see, you know, we're gonna see the uh, Zach Woods and company in the opening credits. No, okay, then we know to look for them. Well, no, but I mean, I I was still thinking of like, okay, so obviously this guy ratted the sister. But the mom's camera, the you know the other computers, is that him as well, or is that just a bit of serendipity, or like you know curious timing? And actually, it's the NSA, and we just don't see them. It's possible, yes. It's in you know, so we'll 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 see what happens with it. But I did think that was um that was a lot of fun. It 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 felt very very cheeky on behalf of the show to just be like, huh, who could it be? It could be they think it's this and that, but it actually could be like anyone. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, man, Zach Grenier is just amping it up this season. <laughs> He's so delightful. <laughs> he is loving it. Yeah, definitely. Oh, so so much fun. A sh- shady guy being shady was not really a surprise to me. We'll see if that comes back down the line to to bite Alicia in the butt. But um, but no, I, I'm enjoying the various, you know, back and forth. And I like that they're keeping things murky because she worked there for so long. Of course, situations like the one presented this week are going to come up. So I thought I thought that actually worked really well. And um, yeah, I'm I'm having a lot of fun with the Good Wife. Yes, of course. And uh, last thing I wanted to mention was, of course, we get Nathan Lane, I guess, added as a regular again for a while, which is fun. I don't re- I don't exactly buy that character being a real person, but I like having Nathan Lane on the show, so I'll take it. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very glad to see him, you know, seemingly stick around for, for a while. And um, I, I look forward to, to, to more again, because I don't feel like I feel like Nathan Lane rarely gets to play characters like this. He's almost yeah. always cast in roles much more similar to his Pepper character on Modern Family that are just very over the top. And so I really enjoy this sort of buttoned down, uh, very uh, subdued approach yes. who, who has who is clearly so passionate about the law and and also so in need of some friends. <laughs> yes. And I, I the scene of him reading the script was too good. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was wonderful. And, and again, deliciously underplayed. So I, I'm really enjoying Enjoying the notion of him, you know, adding to the team. Um, any any final thoughts, or shall we move to our picks? What wins your week in drama? Uh, it's going to the good wife. I, f- I feel like they're just they're on a roll, man, and I don't see how it's going to stop. I think it could end up being their best season if it keeps it up like this. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes, but it's definitely yeah, it definitely is is doing really well this season. And they're hitting a hundred episodes in a few weeks, which is going to be exciting for them. How many shows are in their best season? When they hit a hundred episodes, I mean, we we both think Angel, yeah, we both think Angel is, you know, season five is its best season, and that's when, of course, they had their hundredth episode. But I'm having trouble thinking of another show in its best season 
at 100. Yeah, especially a ser- like a at least partially serialized drama. Yeah, Yeesh. or or even just a procedural, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a rarity. So good good job, the good wife. I'm actually going to give it to Boardwalk Empire this week because I did really enjoy the various what? the showdown. I enjoyed the showdown with with uh, Chalky and and uh, and Narcisse, and so I I enjoyed finally having something happen in that <laughs> yeah, storyline. So enough. I'll give it to them. Um, I'm sh- everybody already knows that I love the Good Wife. So me really enjoying an episode of Boardwalk, um, you know, more than just hey, it's pretty. The actors are really good. I think is worthy of of note. Okay, fair enough. A few show notes before we go to our DVD shelf with Tyler Smith of Battleship Retention and More Than One Lesson talking about the animated series The Tick. Our outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find a post up for this episode at soundonsite.org. We're also up in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We would love any feedback that you have for us there. Please leave a, a rating or a review. Um, and also, of course, we're up in Facebook. I've been doing nothing with Facebook the past couple of weeks. I've been... Uh, just doing my best to keep my head above water with all this who who coverage, but I will endeavor to be back more active on Facebook. Um, if you if you want to leave any thoughts or comments on our Facebook page, though, those will immediately get responded to. So I'm behind on the links and on, on the Facebook page, but that's a great way to get a, get in touch with us. Of course, you can also reach us by email, theteleverse at gmail.com, and we're both up on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and you are at Sucker Howell. And what is our question of the week? Well, on the subject of our Previous question: Shows that made it to 100 episodes and, st- and were still good. Any that spring to mind, people? And consistently good? Do you mean consistently good, or just by the time that so like could kind of a peak and then a valley and then back to a peak for 100? Sure. Yeah. How often does that happen? Because it's not occurring to us. Yeah. So let us know. That's a good question. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. Let us know. And uh, now we're going to take a break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with our DVD shelf talking about the Tick with Battleship Retention and Weather Lessons. Tyler Smith. <clears throat> and how long have you been a superhero? Me? Well, I guess I've always been a superhero. <clears throat> I don't know much else. Arthur, what's the Tick really like? The Tick. He's great. He's a little hard to work with sometimes, but he's stronger than anybody. Listen, ours is an epic tale. True friendship, heart-stopping danger, men and women in tights, making the rules and breaking them. We are not two men. We are ten men. Listen. It all started in Reno. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we're talking The Tick. And here to help us on this quest uh, is is Tyler Smith from Battleship Retention and More Than One Lesson. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. 
Well, of course, your first uh, time on, we talked about The Critic and mm-hmm. an, another fabulous animated series. And then we switched to live action with Nero Wolf. And we're back to animation with The Tick. Um, of course, there's also the live action version, which I'm sure will come up at some point during this discussion. But what made you want to discuss the cartoon, the animated series? Well, um, somewhat recently on uh, Battleship Pretension, David and I went over the the things that that influenced us in pop culture uh, as we were like children and, and teenagers, and the things that might have influenced our uh, artistic sensibilities. You know, it it involved a lot of uh, not necessarily soul searching, but like just thinking back to the things that that I really enjoyed, and some stuff was good and some stuff was not but you know i wanted to be honest with myself and say okay well if i'm being honest then yes this movie which is not that good or that tv show which is not that good probably influenced the things that i look for in movies now but uh as i was thinking i was i was realizing that there was a lot of really great uh animation both uh, of the saturday morning variety and otherwise uh in the early 90s that i uh, really enjoyed, and chief among them was a, uh, a th- I believe, a three-season TV show called The Tick, which showed up on Saturday mornings, and was an adaptation of a comic book by uh, Ben Edlund, I believe his name is, and um, and it just took me by surprise. I was, I believe, twelve at the time, uh, maybe eleven. I don't quite recall, and. I, I had never seen anything quite like it, uh, and I'll get more into that in a moment. But uh, when I think back on it now, and I do own uh, the two volumes that are out on DVD right now, and when I revisit them, I realize that a lot of the humor in them has become somewhat commonplace in cartoons and that sort of thing. Um, but that it was very, a lot of the humor was very instrumental in what became my comedic sensibility both as you know just jokes that i make with my friends but also what i look for in movies and tv shows and so i thought uh you know a lot of people there there aren't a lot of people that uh, remember the show so i thought uh in an effort to bring up something that none of your other guests have uh, talked about i uh, i went with that one the tick well and i think there are a lot of really great animated series that do, do not spring to mind for people when they think of underrated television or shows that were canceled too soon or any of that. The because we've t- I've talked with other guests and potential guests who look at our list of shows and they're like, oh, you've covered all of them. And one of the first things I think of, oh, is we haven't even scratched the surface. But people yeah. don't go to animation when they think of the best shows or their favorite shows. For some reason, in general, this is what, at least this is what I found, and I don't understand why. So it was a lot of fun for me to, to dive in with The Tick. I had seen a couple episodes of the live-action show, but I had never seen uh, more than a few clips of the animated series. So it was it was fun to kind of you know be able to compare and contrast those. And, of course, I've been a fan of Ben Edlund's work for quite a while, uh, looking at his, his work in the Whedonverse and, of course, on, on shows like Supernatural, where... He was. Uh, he's written many of their my favorite episodes of that series, uh, and so it was really fun to sort of just dive into this zany, you know, sort of. It took me back to a mind a, a mind space of '90s cartoons, and I have a lot of those that I really love. So it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Simon, had you seen any of the Tick before this? I definitely seen a whole bunch of the Tick when I was younger, 
uh, and did not see any of the live action series when that happened. Although, of course, that was a very brief window of time. It only aired for nine episodes, I believe, if they even all aired. Uh, that would surprise me. <laughs> but um, can I can we just note the fact that that show even happened? It's just <laughs> insane. But anyway, I de- yeah, I definitely watched quite a bit of it at the same age as you, Tyler. And I- I've always had fond memories of the show, but I hadn't seen it since then so it's been a good 15 years since i've sat down to watch the tick until now that is i did watch (laughs) to be clear and uh how how would you how did you respond to the show um i think that 11 or 12 is definitely the ideal time to be watching the show especially if you're kind of uh weird or cynical or um or slightly slightly askew uh, young person because it it does it has a little bit of that sensibility of just being a little bit out there and having this slightly subversive very very slightly subversive take on sort of superhero antics uh, without being outright edgy which the live action series does kind of get into a little bit and as i understand it so does the comic the apparently the show was very specifically designed to be a, a softer version of the same idea uh, watching it now as an adult, I, it's rare that it engages me fully. I think there's an episode or two that kind of starts to do that, but mostly I found myself yearning for, uh, you know, for pushing the ideas a little bit further in almost sort of a Venture Brothers style, which is a whole other, of course, level of comic sensibility. Although it's worth noting that Ben Edlund did write one of the two or three best Venture Brothers episodes ever, so clearly uh, those ideas were percolating in his mind as well. Well, I think there's a lot to appreciate about The Tick, and I, I and I can see just watching it now how different of a viewing experience I would have had as a kid versus versus watching it now as, a, as an adult, and also as uh, somewhat of a, a rookie animation fan, but an animation fan nonetheless. I could almost instantly pick out like Rob Paulson and some of these other voice actors whose work I've really enjoyed for for decades now, and and so. I was th- I was thinking about how each of these different characters was a play on 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 the more recognizable Marvel DC kind of characters and then I was also appreciating some of the the choices the voice actors were making as well as just sort of the zaniness of this world so so while maybe I wasn't as engaged to the point where I wasn't thinking about that, I, I got a lot of enjoyment actually out of that second sort of meta level and I think a lot of that is very intentional. Yeah, and I think that, uh, and I've I've read the comic book, and uh, yes, it is a much darker sensibility while still re- you know, retaining the uh, kind of absurd, silly quality that uh, both the animated and live action series had. You know, we, one thing to keep in mind regarding the 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 animated shows, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, its lack of edge. Not to imply that it has none, but you know, it's it's pretty. Uh, accessible to uh, even the most sensitive of kids. You know, we we do need to consider that it was a Saturday morning cartoon in the 90s. There was no, I don't think there was even Cartoon Network yet, much less anything close to Adult Swim. The idea of of, uh, animation for adults uh, pretty much stopped at The Simpsons, and I think the critic had had been on for a short time around this time, and I think... uh, there may be one other, one or two other things, but uh, but this was meant to be for younger audiences, and I find myself wondering uh, if they, if Ben Edlund like spearheaded uh, another animated adaptation, 
and could put it on Comedy Central or Adult Swim or any number of things, you know, or even Fox and, and have it be have it air, you know, in prime time. Um, I think it could make the transition very easily to those things. Um, but, yeah, it's something that when I revisit it now, uh, I can still I still chuckle at, at some of the jokes. Uh, but, yeah, it's it it's something that it does not necessarily seem dated. But, at, for example, I am. I just recently rewatched uh, The Exorcist, um, which I hadn't seen in a few years, uh, and a film that was considered like the most, just the scariest, the edgiest film you've ever seen uh, in 1973. And while some of the things in it are still very disturbing, movies have upped the ante, and so it just doesn't seem quite as daunting uh, a movie to watch now. Uh, but then, of course, you could also make the argument that maybe the movies that are really edgy and dark now, maybe they wouldn't have been had The Exorcist not been edgy then. And so maybe uh, some of your more absurdist uh, uh, and edgy-ish uh, animated shows, maybe they wouldn't be happening now if The Tick had not uh, been so willing to embrace uh, – <laughs> Just some very strange, some very strange ideas. I uh, I rewatched an episode on YouTube today in preparation for this, uh, or rather earlier today, um, and uh, uh, the episode is called "That Mustache Feeling," <laughs> in which uh, the government has designed uh, a weapon to use against the Soviets, in which a uh, a living mustache will attach itself to a host and then wreak havoc. Uh, and by the way, in that episode, you get a delightful song in which, uh, the tick is walking down this, pardon me, he's strutting down the street <laughs> with his new mustache and there is a play and the music behind it is like this 1970s black exploitation theme. And we'll get to another, uh, mention of that in a moment. Um, and, uh, and I remember there's there's a lyric in it in which it says uh, upper lip slick and hip pointy on the ends. And I remember like when I was even to this day, like if I ever, cause I've, I've got like a beard or a goatee. I don't think I've ever just grown a mustache, but there, there have been times when I've had to shave my facial hair off and the mustache will be the last thing to go because it's the thing I'm not familiar with as far as well. I've never just had a mustache. So I'll do that. And then I'll be like upper lip slick and hip. And then I'll shave it off. Uh, but, you know, so that in itself is weird for kids. But then there's a character who shows up named Taft who's based on the character Shaft. No kid knows who that is. Uh, you know, certainly not before, uh, not in 1994 before uh, Samuel Jackson played the character. And then there is a Nick Fury character in there in there as well. But also with the Charlie's Angels tie-in like it's just it's ridiculous and amazing and you know and of course yes it's not quite as potentially dark or edgy as as cartoons now but like just think of all that weird just that's a weird combination of things and not merely the references but also just having a mustache <laughs> that is fighting people 
Like that, that in itself is strange. You know, thankfully, by the time that episode aired, I had gotten used to the sensibilities of the tick uh, as a kid. But had that been one of the first episodes, I'd been like, what? What the hell is going on here? And I was already I already felt like that a little bit as a kid because I had never seen uh, an entire genre parodied the the way the tick parodied the superhero genre. I had seen stuff like Spaceballs, which was a specific movie, but with the tick, it was a whole other universe meant to kind of send up superheroes, and that was new to me. And so uh so and even those early episodes, uh which are pretty conventional, even those are a little goofy enough to throw me as a kid. I absolutely agree. Uh, the that was one of my favorite episodes when I, I rewatched. Um, I guess what maybe a third to half of of the episodes for this, and yeah, the, that was just delightful. I I can't think of a better term than delightful for that mustache feeling. And the conclusion at the end of the episode where he's longing <laughs> to be with Beard. The beard that yeah, the Russians the Russian developed. Beard, yeah. Oh my god, it's beautiful. I love it, and I absolutely agree. I was noticing those um, those moments of of parody and reference going on throughout throughout, like, like you mentioned, Taft, and there's a Charlie's Angels sort of thing. Like, what if Nick Fury was in charge of Charlie's Angels? And yeah. there, there's a lot of fun things happening with that. Um, and when you're talking about the absurdist elements, I mean, one of the recurring villains, his head is a chair. <laughs> chair-based Chippendale and it's just the most and it's just it's a it's a wooden small wooden chair that goes into a collar of a suit and that's his head and he talks and it's not like the the like part of the chair moves to be his mouth no it just stands there and occasionally moves side to side with his emotion uh yeah it's just ridiculous, <laughs> and I I can't help but love that that's the thing that is treated so completely. Um, it's just accepted at face value because that's what the tick does. The tick doesn't have a sarcastic bone in his body, and maybe that's part of why um, there there's there's more of a disconnect now. There's I usually I feel like on a show like the tick, if it was now there'd be some. Self, at least one self-aware character who was kind of looking around saying, guys, this is this is ridiculous. But for the most part, that doesn't happen. Arthur fills that role from time to time, but for the, for the most part, it's just, and? It's, yeah, the bad guy, his head is a chair. And? Yeah. But that's the thing, is like, that's that's what makes it so interesting. And I, if they were to make it now, I hope there wouldn't be a self-aware character. Because all these characters just accept the reality of the universe they're in. And it's like, I don't want somebody saying, essentially looking at the camera and being like, this is kind of weird, right? Like, that's fun if you do it a certain way. But at the same time, I just like the idea that, you know, Dick Tracy never said, hey, this guy's face is surprisingly pruny, you know, <laughs> or that guy's top is a little flat or whatever. Like, it's just, he just accepted, like, this is what the villains look like. And now I just, and all I need to do is stop them. And uh, and I like that. That's what I want uh, is something that's just it's like, no, I'm not going to give you an in point as the audience. You have to catch up. Did you have any uh, characters that stood out to you, Simon? Uh, well, I mean, characters slash episode, I guess, is the, the right combination here to be by far the best episode. 
is definitely, I believe it's episode seven of the first season, which is called The Tick versus The Tick, mm. which uh, I, I think has this, it, it comes closest to having the sensibility that I was kind of hoping for as an adult because it, it does have slightly more of an edge, uh, but it also features, uh, I think, the most memorable villain, uh, the Midnight Bomber, uh, What Bombs at Midnight? Yes, the Midnight Bomber, <laughs> What Bombs at Midnight, voiced by the fabulous Maurice LaMarche. Yeah, and just everything about that. Like, that was one of the few episodes where I was actually laughing out loud, which is an accomplishment for a kid-oriented cartoon from 15 years ago. Well, and I love that that character just kind of pops up here and there when they need, like, a sad sack villain. Like, he de- he can't get into the Enemy Awards, for example. Uh, and, and just when, when I got to that episode and he's like, he just kept saying, I'm the Midnight Bomber, what bombs at midnight? The what is the important <laughs> word there? And it's just, there's, it's just again, it just made me smile. I, it's just ridiculous. And I love that he's this like Ken Kesey style, uh, like, like uppity seventies or sixties revolutionary, just out of time. But they never make it explicit. Like, I, again, that's one of those things that, you know, like a kid wouldn't get that. But I appreciated the the detail in in the writing of that character. Absolutely. Uh, would, who are the characters that, uh, or the episodes, I should say, that always stand out to you, besides, obviously, that mustache feeling? Tyler. Oh, boy. Uh, there's one called uh, The Little Wooden Boy in the Belly of Love. Uh, did you guys see that one? Yeah, yeah. I, made sure, okay. I got your tweet. I made sure to catch that one, and I'm glad I did. Like, that is, that is to me, one of the best episodes of The Tick because it, it involves a lot of what I was talking about, like, with uh, that mustache feeling, which is just all these disparate elements just coming together to create one just insane episode. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so we've got Arthur trying to date somebody, and that, oh, boy, that's exciting. Good for him. <laughs> but The Tick feels a little uh, neglected because Arthur isn't just hanging out with him all the time and they've got their hobby night and they're making a macaroni duck and all that sort of thing. And it's it's the tick as a character is always kind of adorable. And that's one of the things that makes him adorable. But then, of course, he feels betrayed a little bit. And so as he's doing hobby night by himself and he starts to uh, he doesn't really start to whittle, but he's he sees it goes, oh, my gosh, I see a little wooden boy's face uh, trapped in this block of wood. And then you see this montage of him, like, you know, uh, uh, like whittling and, and hammering and, and drilling and all that. And you th- and you think by the end there's going to be like, oh, this Pinocchio type thing. But all, what you really just get is a plank of wood with a face drawn on it and then other pieces of wood screwed onto it as well. And that is, uh, and then the tick carries that around, and that's his sidekick for the episode. And then the the villains in that episode are not the they're not necessarily the the most important villains, but they're simply called the Swiss, uh, and they're people with giant Swiss Army knives. And but they're they're quick to say that yes, we are called the Swiss, but we do not represent the Swiss government. We are independent. We are more just just criminals, you know, because everyone just assumes, oh no, the Swiss. Is it, are attacking the city, and they say, no, no, it's just us. It's not the whole country. Don't blame them. Uh, and then, uh, in the midst of all of this, and this speaks to the world-building thing. In the midst of all this, there is a giant whale with arms and legs and pants and shoes known as Blowhole. And, uh, like, once a year, once every few years, I don't remember exactly what it is, uh, he will emerge from the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic and then run across the country and then get into the other ocean. 
and it becomes a, a, a an annual thing, uh, and people are very excited about it. And so there is a uh, so the, the climax of the of the episode winds up with the, you know the tick and Arthur and, and everybody getting swallowed by the whale. So of course now we have a little wooden boy, uh, not unlike Pinocchio in the belly of a whale, and. And then they find a way to get out of the whale, and then he just keeps running. And again, nobody says, "Hey, is it weird that we've got that there is a whale with arms and legs that just runs across the country?" Like nobody says that. And the and the uh, uh, <laughs> and the and the show doesn't even acknowledge that that would be strange. Like even within the world of the show, that's strange. But they just treat it like, "Hey, you know, this is this is the world we live in. Guys have chairs for heads and." And uh, whales run across the country. And just so it's all these different elements that add up to this amazing episode. And there there are a bunch of episodes I like, but that one specifically, uh, from the absurdist standpoint, is, is one that I really love. Well, and this, sometimes the solution is to burn the equivalent of Pinocchio. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> poor Tick. Uh, I also enjoy the Tick versus Dinosaur Neil. That one works really well for me um, because <laughs> uh, because in that one you have the tick fighting, yes, Dinosaur Neil, but more specifically, there's a, a, a scene in which he is fighting Dinosaur Neil's tongue. Uh, and so the, it takes us inside Dinosaur Neil's mouth and uh, the tick is just uh, fighting, is trying to, you know, tame his tongue and... Uh, and that's that's a, a one of the big action sequences of that episode. And there's just a, and I'm trying to think of a few others. There's the Tick versus Brainchild, which I like I like quite a bit, partially because we get in the. I think it's that one because Brainchild shows up a couple of times. I think that's the one where the Tick tries to like relate to to modern kids. Yeah, he just needs to give him a hug, and then he'll stop being evil. Right. But there's a, there's a scene where he just he seems like the square like a square 1950s dad, which I think is kind of brilliant. Um, and uh, there's a scene where Brainchild is up in his uh, who's by the way for those that don't know he's an evil genius who happens to be like ten or something like that, and his brain, uh, his head, uh, the the top of his head is encased in glass, so everyone can see this giant brain. And so he's up in his treehouse doing something, and uh, and his mom has asked the tick to help. So he goes up, and he's at the bottom of the treehouse. And I remember him saying, he goes, Charles, are you up there? The tick would like to rap with you. And it just, it sound, it's so square and so perfect for who he is. And uh, because while he, while he can recognize evil and he can fight evil, he certainly cannot relate to evil. Uh, and it's just such a such an old timey uh, type of, of character. And the fact that he's trying to use the, that he uses the term rap uh, is just amazing. So, um, so off the top of my head, those are, uh, those are a few of the episodes that I think are just really wonderful. And a lot of these, by the way, not that I necessarily, not that I advocate not buying the DVDs, but a lot of these are available on YouTube. So if listeners are curious, then they can, they can seek these out. Well, and you can check, you know, Check it out, then decide if you want to get it. And if you, I mean, I think I think the show's pretty consistent. There will be certain episodes that that work better than the others, given your 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 knowledge base and your interests, probably. Yeah. 
but but in general it's a pretty consistent you know the tone and the just the sensibilities are very consistent throughout and um with, with when you reference that that specific episode I do like I, I very much appreciate actually the the sister character who yeah. like, the the her brother keeps trying to monologue and she's like I already know this stop <laughs> stop explaining I've been here this whole time I already know your evil plan uh in which is which is pretty great I of course enjoyed Octo Paganini uh which has the is an eight-armed uh evil villain uh voiced by Xander Berkeley who plays Paganini Caprice number 24 throughout the story or the, the episode. Uh, I don't recall it immediately, but go ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> At least I think it's a lot of fun. That's the one that also has the hero exchange uh, to, to Europe. And you have uh, Eclair <laughs> and Blitzen fighting the Breadmaster in his second appearance. Uh, just a delightful character again. And when you say that the tick can't relate to evil, the tick can't relate to anyone. That's true. He does many things, but he does not listen. <laughs> and so he can't relate to anyone because he can't hear what anyone is saying. Um, and that that dynamic with Arthur usually works, but when it breaks down is always very interesting. And I particularly like when Arthur just gets annoyed at how the tick keeps just spending his credit cards oh, and destroying yeah. was, his financial life. Up, yeah. yeah. The, the other one I wanted to mention is the tick versus the uncommon cold. Because uh, I, I just love the the way that that one works. First of all, just the back and forth with the roommate, I think, is delightful. And uh, then just the the flu monster, the, the 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 mucus version of the tick. That fight, I think, is actually a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, just but but again, I just keep going back to the. I, do we even find the roommate's name? I want to say it's like Chad or something. It's just, it's, I just, again, just complete acceptance of you have a slime monster from a parallel dimension that has a giant don't button and, uh, it, it you know, he's your roommate and he may be kind of picky, but at least he gets his part of the rent in every month. <laughs> I just love that. Yeah. And that's got, that's got Jim Cummings. And again, that's not, that's not for kids. Oh yeah. No. Kids are not going to relate to that. Yeah. It's, uh. And that's the thing is each episode is like a combination of of that stuff that stuff from the adult world that kids can probably see the humor in it, but they can't relate to it directly, you know, and and having like a roommate that's a little weird, but he's still not a he's still not a bad roommate, you know, and just and also having his own thing. It's just like, all right, well, I don't understand it, but he gets the rent in on time. He doesn't, you know, make a fuss. So let him do whatever he wants to do. If that includes, you know, taking over the world, so be it. As long as the rent gets in on time. Like, it's just uh, that is something that people can't really, that kids can't really relate to. But I think that the show does a good enough job making it genuinely funny and just at, you know, layering on context so that, uh, so that, the humor of the inherent humor of the situation comes through. Well, as a person with roommates, I can say that I relate to that completely. Oh yeah. <laughs> Everybody who's had a roommate ever can relate to that. I think, um, before we run out of time, I feel like we should talk a little bit about the live action show. If only because I'm almost positive. It will never get picked for the DVD shelf as much as I would like for it to get picked. Let me ask you this real quick before you make such an assumption. 
I've seen all the episodes of the live action show. Why don't we just do another episode? Not now. Sometime in the future. I'm happy to come on and talk about that. Sure. Done. Done. It's been, look, it's been decided. It's been it's decided. Done already. Oh, good. We'll see. This this works out. <laughs> Bonus shelf. Uh, so next time you'll come back and we'll talk live action. I'm just going to say I like it, and I don't understand why it didn't catch on. And I guess you, you don't understand why it didn't catch on. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I okay. I guess here's what I should say. I don't understand why it seems like when I talk to people, talk to TV fans, like the the rare subset who have seen the live action show, I almost universally hear. Oh, that's not the real tick. And in like the sense that if you like the live action one, you're wrong. You should what you really mean is that you like the animated one and the animated one is clearly superior, so why would you ever prefer the live action? Like there's just this strange like sort of competitiveness as if the existence of a live action one is like invalidating the the, the, the animated series and I don't I don't get why fans of the animated series seem so negative towards the live action. Considering yeah, have... it was already adapting from another medium. Yeah. yeah. We can have both. It'll be fine. And But, yeah, that's a conversation for another time. No question about it. <laughs> um, and uh, I did want to say, uh, just uh, because I enjoy uh, plugging my own uh, podcast, uh, I will say that uh, a couple years ago, maybe even longer than that, uh, Townsend Coleman, the voice of the Tick, was on Battleship Pretension, and uh, it was surreal and a lot of fun. He's a really friendly guy, uh, but anytime you have somebody, anytime like we talk to somebody that is basically from our childhood, we had Maurice LaMarche on as well, and you know they're friendly and you're talking to them, and then they'll actually do the voice that you know them for. Because uh, uh, Townsend went in and he he did the tick very briefly, but then he also did Michelangelo because he did the voice of Michelangelo on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and and in that moment, like whatever I was trying to be, because I was trying to be adult and mature and be like, oh yes, here's the, you know, happy to have you on the podcast and blah blah. blah. But in that moment, it's like, okay, no, I'm I'm 11 years old again, and I'm so excited that this person is in my house uh, talking to me. And uh, that's it's an episode that I, I really like. Townsend Coleman's just like a super nice guy and, and has some interesting things to say. So, um, and yeah, and much as I enjoy Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, he would not have been on the show had he not been the episode of the tick, uh, been the, <laughs> the voice of the tick. <laughs> Those are both fun episodes and people should go seek them out. They're, they're a lot of fun. I, I always enjoy, that's one of the things that I talk about every year uh, with Comic-Con or, or with podcasts. If you want an entertaining podcast, get a group of voice actors in a room or a panel or anything. They're, yeah. they're always fun. They're always good guests and they're, they always have something interesting that they will contribute. So certainly, well, do we have any final thoughts on, on the tick? Season one, Arthur is Mickey from the Monkees. What? <laughs> yes, that is true. I just had to, I, that always blows my mind a little bit. <laughs> Anything else or are you good? Um, I think I'm good. We'll, we'll reconvene in, in due time. In due time. And uh, Tyler, how about you? Uh, just that it's a show that, you know, in the same way, I, I was actually somewhat surprised when I suggested it. I was surprised that nobody had had talked about it before. I was surprised that nobody had suggested it before because among, amongst my friends, it is a beloved show, but I think over time it has been largely forgotten. I mean, it was only on three seasons. Um, 
and it spent it it spent it had a kind of a second life on Comedy Central for a short time, but um, but yeah, people just don't really think about it or talk about it, and so I would say uh, if you're listening to this and you have not heard and you've not seen any of the episodes or anything like that, uh, like I said, a lot of them, if not all of them, are on YouTube. Seek it out; it's a lot of fun. Uh, and, you know, please keep in mind what what you know Simon and I have have mentioned here, which is it's. You know, some of the humor is something is stuff that has become somewhat commonplace now. And so if you're looking for something with an adult sensibility, you'll find some of that, but not, you know, it's not Aqua Teen or C-Lab or something like that. Um, but it's still genuinely funny and clever uh, if you if you let it be. So uh, I highly recommend it and uh, and seek it out if you haven't. Yeah, I was actually a little surprised to find out that there were three seasons because in my brain the tick is sort of, I like it feels to me sort of like a uh, middleman where it was on. If the based on my interactions with with fans of it, it seemed like it was something that was on for a very brief time, and nobody maybe watched it, but those who did really connected to it. Yeah. Um, and, and so I was actually pleasantly surprised to see that there are 36 episodes. So there's a decent chunk of, uh, of entertainment there for you. If, if this fits your sensibilities. And again, uh, this is, it, we, we've talked about another show, animated show from this time that I think you could relate it to just based on their, their, their storylines is of course, Batman, the animated series, which yeah. is happening at a similar time. And they're completely different. Batman, the animated series is going to, be much more visually and musically and uh, and maybe even storyline engaging to adult audiences, I think, in a way that The Tick may not. But The Tick just goes to this place of silly and absurdity and just sort of ridiculous abandon that I think is, is completely different but is equally valid. Yeah, I feel like, because uh, I, I own all the volumes of Batman the Animated Series as well, um, and that is a show that I think is uh, amazing. It might be my best uh, presentation of Batman ever. But, um, you know, it's also a very self-serious show, which makes sense. It should be. But I feel like maybe if you watch The Tick, like watch an episode of Batman the Animated Series and then watch The Tick and then go back and forth between the two. And uh, eventually you'll run out of Tick long before you run out of Batman. But um, But if you do that... Then you'll get a nice sense of like what, what like the modern superhero movie is, uh, or like for example what the Avengers is, which is, um, you know something that ha- there are stakes. It's very serious, but you can't let it get too serious because we are talking about, you know, a guy in a spandex suit. Exactly, and so uh, and that's something that I think the Tick, uh, maybe something maybe even at the time they were trying to respond to it. I mean, we have a Batman surrogate uh, in. In the tick, his name is Deflator Mouse, which is German for the field mouse, and everything about him is meant to be like Batman. But of course, he is no threat, and uh, and I believe the mayor says that every time he he flicks on the uh, Deflator Mouse signal, uh, it means that he will uh, Deflator Mouse will uh, disconnect his phone and leave town for a week. Uh, and so, like uh, the tick does did seem interested in deflating some of the self-seriousness of Batman the animated series and to a lesser extent uh the animated series of X-Men which is also pretty good but uh but yeah so i feel like if you watch that it'll be a nice antidote to other shows that while good seem to lack 
a certain degree of uh, of awareness of how silly what they're doing is. And of course, I just I, I have to mention that Deflator Mouse is is a is an opera by Strauss that everybody knows at least one <laughs> song from, one piece mm -hmm. from. Everybody has heard the, the overture to Deflator Mouse, even if you mm -hmm. don't know that you have. Google it, YouTube it. It's a fabulous piece. It's a lot of fun to play. Um, but I guess my final thoughts about the Tick will be that uh, it was it was a really fun show. It, it's not necessarily what I was expecting because I was expecting from Ben Edlin, more edge, which, but more than anything, this just has me curious to go check out the, the comic book. Oh yeah. You know, because I think, you know, this sensibility with, with maybe more freedom without, you know, a network looking over your shoulder saying this is a show for children, I think is really, would be very interesting, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a very easy 20 minutes, 22 minutes and something that I think more people should check out. It, it shouldn't be lost to the annals of just 90s animated TV. It should it should be remembered. Absolutely. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can find me at battleshippretension.com, where I do a weekly movie-related show with David Bax that has been running for quite some time. Uh, and you can also find me at More Than One Lesson, uh, in which I, I uh, host with Josh Long, who is also somewhat recently on the show. Um, talking about Get Smart, I believe. Yep, good times. Uh, and um, that is uh, film criticism from a Christian point of view. And More Than One Lesson actually has been nominated for a podcast award uh, in the religion inspiration category. So if you were so inclined, uh, if you enjoyed this episode at, the, at least, and you feel like, I want to support that guy however I can, um, then uh, head on over to podcastawards.com and vote for me in the uh, – in the religion inspiration category, more than one lesson, and uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you again so much, Tyler, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.